0: the Grassroots Media team at Weave News, this is Interweaving.
1: Welcome to Episode 13 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. As of today, March 31st, the global number of confirmed cases of coronavirus has topped 800,000. That's according to the Coronavirus Resource Center at Johns Hopkins University. More than 39,000 people have died, and more than 172,000 have recovered. For the past two weeks, Weave News has been receiving audio reports about the pandemic from citizen reporters around the world and bringing those to you through our podcast. At a time when borders are tightening and fear is on the rise, we think it's essential to hear, really hear the voices of others. These stories can help us understand not only the unique struggles facing people in places far and near, but also the common elements that bind us together during this global health crisis. In today's episode, we spotlight four voices from young people in Bangalore, India, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, Turku, Finland, and Rakan State, Myanmar. Each of their reports provides us with a snapshot of a local moment in the development of this global story. And what we learn from them is that the COVID-19 story is inevitably entangled with other ongoing stories. Stories about both the excesses and the limits of state power, stories about worker safety, stories about mental health, stories about uneven access to healthcare and information. Stories about the damage caused by those who fail to recognize their privileges and responsibilities. And stories about the courageous efforts of ordinary people to build grassroots responses grounded in social solidarity. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.
2: My name is Avana Mohandesi, today is March 26, 2020 and I am currently in Bangalore, India. India has a population of 1.3 billion people and as of today there are 722 confirmed cases of COVID-19 with 16 deaths in the entire country. I think many of us are skeptical about how realistic these numbers are considering testing is very much limited at the moment. There's a good proportion of uneducated individuals, people who don't have access to internet, people who don't have access to any form of healthcare, and we are a pretty large developing country, so it's hard to tell whether the right people are being tested or if enough people are being tested. However, even with these low numbers, our Prime Minister Narendra Modi, as of yesterday, placed the nation on a complete lockdown for 21 days. There were several restrictions on travel from foreign countries and requests to self-isolate prior to this action but a lot of people were not taking them seriously enough and there is the fear that if it does severely break out in india we would not have enough resources to manage it there are a lot of unique ways in which india is handling this situation for instance a few days ago Modi asked Indians to go onto a balcony and clap to show appreciation for doctors and people who are working to contain this virus. Some also believed that the sounds and the vibrations caused from the clapping would ward off negative energy. There are also people who are selling and drinking cow urine as a way to remain immune, probably because cows are a sacred symbol in Hinduism. The way people are reacting to this lockdown does shed light on who is privileged enough to abide by these new restrictions. There are many workers who earn well below what they're supposed to and naturally there is a fear that they will die of starvation rather than corona. 21 days of not getting paid is a long period of time so that has caused a lot of panic. As for my life. A week ago, I was in Copenhagen, Denmark, studying abroad for my spring term until it unfortunately got cancelled. Once I reached the airport back home, there was a lot of confusion and some people were being taken by bus into quarantine depending on where they flew in from. I was not one of them, thankfully, but I am self-quarantining, especially because Denmark was at a level 3 when I left. I did get a call from health officials and they... Visited me this morning to put a stamp on my hand to ensure that I don't leave the house. And they also came to check whether I was showing any symptoms. So they are keeping track of incoming travelers. Besides this, my parents are doctors, so they go to work every day and there are extra precautions taken in our house. It definitely is keeping everybody on edge, and for a lot of us, it breeds a sense of isolation this kind of constrainment is not the best especially because it's indefinite but i am hopeful because china is doing better and i just read an article saying italy is beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel i hope the rest of the world follows this trend and hopefully we will get out of this as soon as possible
0: My name is Amanda. Today is Thursday, 27th of March, and I'm reporting from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. One of the most pressing concerns and issues for our community right now, I think, is how the government's been dealing and is going to be dealing with the suburbs and the most uh, poor areas of Brazil in this time of coronavirus. Um, The favelas, for instance, are historically known for lack of basic sanitation, and people usually rely on informal work. These areas have been ignored by the country for so many years now. And the access for them of services to health treatment is very limited. Even though in Brazil we have universal health care and everyone should enjoy the same rights, we know that depending on your class, depending on where you're from, and, and depending on your color, you're going to be treated differently. And that's the big concern. What's been happening? is that already in the favelas, gangs, militias, and traffic organizations are trying to organize and hand out soap and sanitizer and impose curfews to stop the spread of the virus and to avoid agglomeration. What we see here is that state power only arrives in those areas in form of violence, and so people are almost obliged to create some sort of autonomy, some sort of self-government to try and um, protect themselves and support each other in times of need. And the authority they look up to are those organizations that are perceived usually by the government and by outsider as a threat, but for them it starts being a source of support. Um, the Red Command gang that controls one of big, Rio's biggest favelas, Rocinha, said to one of magazines in Brazil, Veja uh, Briu, we want the best for the population. If the government's not able to help, the organized crime will solve the problem. We see here the huge problem of the state not serving everyone and serving a limited amount of people. And those people that live in those social, more vulnerable spots uh, where there is a lack of resources, they are going to be more affected by coronavirus. They don't have the resource to fight it and they don't have the structure there. So I think that's one of the concerns I'm seeing here and I think coronavirus is highlighting the social disparities in Brazil and I hope our government and our people um, find a way to protect those areas in vulnerability and not only the people that have already the support and have already the, the resources to do so.
1: You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Since 2007, Weave News has been investigating underreported stories, highlighting alternative perspectives, and promoting grassroots media making and critical media literacy. If you're interested in joining us as a content contributor, visit weavenews.org submissions. Now, back to more Interweaving.
3: My name is Emilia. Today is Saturday, 28th of March, and I am reporting to you from Turku, Finland. As of today, there are 1,163 confirmed cases here, of which 31 are in intensive care, 9 are dead, and 10 have been cured. COVID-19 is affecting our everyday lives a lot at this point. Most schools have been shut down, and the ones that haven't are highly encouraging studying from home. Some schools are being held open to offer basic education to those whose parents either work in order to keep the country running or are incapable of offering enough help at home. Daycares have not been informed to be shut down, but staying home is the preferred option. I feel like there's still a lot of learning to be done within the mass population. While the government is doing its best to give out good instructions, many people are going against those as they aren't lost yet. People are seeing their friends, heading out to the forest in the beautiful weather, forgetting that gatherings of 10 or more people are forbidden, even in the nature. Many Finns have gone to their summer cottages up in the north, and that is very close to being a national problem. There are far less intensive care spots and medical resources in Lapland, and so people moving from south to north in a mass is very harmful in case they are spreading the virus or about to get sick and thus being a burden to the healthcare system of Lapland. There have been significantly more confirmed cases in the region that our capital is located in than any other part of the country. That region's borders were officially closed last night to slow down the spreading of the virus. Movement to and from that region is still possible, but it's being controlled by the police. I know I'm in a very lucky situation. There are many people relying on free school food and going to school to get out of the house. Many people are dealing with domestic violence, mental health problems, and some other issues that are making it a lot harder to stay at home. For many people, going to work, going to school, is what keeps them safe and sane. I'm happy to see conversation about these issues on mainstream media. There have, for example, been several news articles about the need for child protective services potentially growing during and after the pandemic. I feel like there is a lot to learn. What we're going through is barely a glimpse of real isolation. Although I know that if people don't start following the government's recommendations, there will be stricter policies on going out, for example. Most of us are still in a good position where we can watch Netflix and read books to spend some of the time. I wish people understood that staying away from others is really what should be happening right now. I think we should put things into perspective and really start paying attention to how we act before the laws become stricter. What brings me hope? Sharing some of these magical moments of joy with my family that normally wouldn't happen due to all of us being busy living our own lives. Of course, we're also much more annoyed with each other, but that's a part of the deal. I also get hopeful seeing the sun and being reminded that nature continues to go on and summer will come no matter what. School continuing, although online, but continuing nonetheless is giving me a sense of stability and telling me that there is a future to study for. I feel hopeful when talking to my friends. I grabbed some coffee with one of them via a video call the other day, and it brought me such warmth. Even though COVID-19 is taking a lot of people from us, and causing a lot of suffering and putting not only countries and the world, but also households into financial crises that we will be recovering from for years at least, I still want to believe that something positive will follow. I am in no way underestimating the terrible consequences or saying that all the suffering is really good for us, no. But what I am saying is that this is what's happening right at the moment and we need to do everything we can to defeat it. But I also think that as humans we have the need for positivity and good things and it's also so so important to try and find those little bits and pieces everywhere around. I know that that's necessary for us to ever start recovering. For now we need to do our best and stay informed and keep in mind that there will be a day in the future when all of this is over.
4: My name is Kim Mao today is Tuesday, March 31, 2020. I am from Rakhine State, Myanmar. All schools are closed in Myanmar at this time, so I am currently in Rakhine State. Currently COVID-19 is spreading all over the world. All countries are preparing to protect COVID-19, including Myanmar. But in some parts of Myanmar, some people still don't know about the COVID-19, because the government has been restricting internet access to nice cities in Rakhine State and Chien State. For about over 9 months, because of the civil war between Tamil and al Army, al Army think that Rakhine people are becoming poor and losing their rights under the Myanmar government control. Even though Rakhine state has a lot of natural resources like natural gas, the state is still poor. So, al Army is trying to gain control of the state and its resources, It has been for the past few years. UN Secretary General has called for a global ceasefire. But currently, there is no agreed ceasefire agreement between the government, Tamdor and most of the ethnic armed groups, including Arkan Army. Currently, one of the main challenges for the Rokai State and Chen State residents is that they have a lack of access to information about the COVID-19. In Rokai State and Chen State, Tamdor and Arkan Army are fighting so most of the people who live in those areas become displaced or physically and mentally harmed by the conflict. Recently, Tamdor military jets used airstrikes in Chin State villages, and over 700 homes were burned in Rakhine State. Thousands of civilians are forced to find safe places, and they have to live in internally displaced camps. In those areas, the government banned the Internet. Therefore, it is very difficult to know the news in time. COVID-19 is now treating our people around the world, but most of the people who live in Chin state and Rakhine state still don't know what COVID-19 is, so they don't know what is happening in the world. There are currently over 180,000 people in camps. The Minister of Social Affairs, Dr. Chanta said that they are giving awareness of COVID-19 in the internally displaced camps, but people who live in camps cannot get information about COVID-19 in time, as we see in other countries change very quickly concerning COVID, such as travel restrictions, number of cases, up-to-date tests. However, the people in the camps or in displaced areas cannot know the news that have been published by the Health Department of Myanmar, World Health Organization, and the news from other countries about the COVID-19. So they are worrying about how to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in those areas. Currently, human rights activists are demanding internet access in Rakhine State and Chin State to improve the public health and safety. But some activists are arrested when they demonstrate to allow the internet in those areas. I think Myanmar government should allow the internet in those areas to access all information about the COVID-19, as this is global issues, not a national issue.
1: On behalf of the team here at Interweaving, thank you to Ivana, Amanda, Emilia, and Kinmung for contributing their voices to today's episode. We will continue to publish new episodes as often as possible, as we use our Citizen Journalism Network to help weave the world together during this global pandemic. We would love to have you be a part of this project, so please do check out our call for submissions at weavenews.org. Thanks, and take care.
0: Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Bee Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support us or join us in our work. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.